listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Daniel 10, verses 1 through 21. In the third year of King Cyrus of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. The word was true, and it concerned a great conflict. He understood the word, having received the understanding in the vision. At that time, I, Daniel, had been mourning for three weeks. I had eaten no rich food, no meat, or wine had entered my mouth, and I had not anointed myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of a great river, that is the Tigris, I looked up and saw a man clothed in linen with a belt of gold from Euphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the roar of a multitude. I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. The people who were with me did not see the vision, though a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled and hid themselves. So I was left alone to see this great vision. My strength left me, and my complexion grew deathly pale, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and when I heard the sound of his words, I fell into a trance, face to the ground. But then a hand touched me and roused me to my hands and knees. He said to me, Daniel, greatly beloved, Pay attention to the words that I'm going to speak to you. Stand on your feet, for I have now been sent to you. So while he was speaking this word to me, I stood up trembling. He said to me, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words have been heard and I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia opposed me 21 days. So Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I left him there with the prince of the kingdom of Persia, and have come to help you understand what is to happen to your people at the end of days, for there's a further vision for those days. While he was speaking these words to me, I turned my face toward the ground and was speechless. Then one in human form touched my lips and I opened my mouth to speak and said to the one who stood before me, my Lord, because of the vision, such pains have come upon me that I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord for I'm shaking? No strength remains in me and no breath is left with me. Again, one in human form touched me and strengthened me. He said, do not fear, greatly beloved, you are safe. 
be strong and courageous. When he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak for you have strengthened me. Then he said, do you know why I have come to you? Now I must return to fight against the Prince of Persia. And when I am through with him, the Prince of Greece will come. But I am to tell you what is inscribed in the Book of Truth. There is no one with me who contends against these princes except Michael, your prince. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be, be to, God. to God. And thank you for that reading, Luann. <clears throat> Before we get started, um, just a quick reminder that later this month on May 23rd, we're going to be doing a live Q&A style sermon uh, during the service, um, answering uh, some of your questions about this current series we're in. We actually got a few uh, questions submitted already last week, awesome questions, so keep those going, that's awesome. Um, I want to encourage folks, though, if you have a question about today's sermon or any other sermon or scripture reading from this series, put it on one of these yellow cards. Drop it in one of the joy boxes um, out in the hallway. And if you're watching this online, there's a little box on our online worship page where you can type your question right in there. And then on May 23rd, I will attempt to answer those in the service. Should be fun. We're going into the home stretch of the book of Daniel. Uh, we've covered the first half of this book back in the beginning of the year, back in January and February. We worked through, you know, all the great stories, uh, Daniel the Lion's Den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. That was the start of the year. Then we took a little break from Daniel for Lent, and then for the last few weeks, we have been working through this second half of Daniel, which is this collection of super trippy dreams and visions. Um, we talked about Daniel's dreams of the four beasts in chapter 7. You might remember that one. That was kind of a weird one, I think. Um, we discussed his dream about the charging ram and the unicorn goat in chapter 8. You probably didn't know there were unicorns in the Bible, um, but there we have it. That's a joke. Um, but anyway, uh, last week we talked about Daniel's prayer and this exchange he has uh, with the angel Gabriel. That one was kind of a downer, uh, but that was last week's message. And now we're at chapters 10 to 12, the final three chapters of this book, which is basically like this massive final vision that caps off the book. We're going to spend three weeks here. We're going to do a week on each chapter because there's a lot here. This is easily one of the most confusing and obscure sections of the entire Bible, especially Daniel chapter 11, which we're going to talk about next week for Mother's Day. That'll be, that'll be fun. Bring your family. Um, <laughs> But um, and let's, let's dive in, though. Let's talk about uh, the first part of this vision, Daniel chapter 10. Chapter opens, and Daniel's in a state of mourning for three weeks. He hasn't had any meat. He hasn't had any wine. He hasn't, you know, bathed himself or tended to his hygiene. There's been no anointing for three whole weeks. Daniel is sad. He's grieving. He's mourning. Now, for folks who were here last week and can remember uh, last week's passage and that sermon, why might Daniel have been in a state of grief? Anybody? See how much we remember. He can't go home, right? Yeah. In the last chapter, he just found out. He just had a conversation with another angel saying that he is never going to go home. Remember that Daniel is a refugee. He was taken from his home in his youth, probably in his teens. He's been living in exile for 70 years, and he had hope that maybe someday he'd get to go back home. 
He might be an old man, he might be in a wheelchair, he could be blind, but maybe he'll get to go back to Jerusalem again. And he's just found out that that is never going to happen. It's been three weeks. Daniel's still in a state of mourning, and now another angel shows up with another message and another vision. Let's read the first part of our passage again. Uh, We'll start in verse 2, and it'll be on the screen. At that time, I, Daniel, had been mourning for three weeks. I had eaten no rich food, no meat or wine had entered my mouth, and I had not anointed myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, I was standing on the bank of the great river. I looked up and I saw a man clothed in linen with a belt of gold from Ufaz around his waist. You guys know those gold belts from Ufaz? No, I have no idea. But it sounds fancy, so let's go with it. His body was like barrel. His face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words were like the roar of a multitude. This is no normal visitor. His eyes are like fire, his face is lightning, he's got a really fancy belt. Daniel's seeing an angel in this passage. And it sounds terrifying. I don't know, I don't know about you, but this would, this would startle me awake, <laughs> I think. Um, let's keep going. Verse 11. <clears throat> this messenger said to me, Daniel, greatly beloved, pay attention to the words that I am going to speak to you. Stand on your feet, for I have now been sent to you. Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia opposed me for 21 days. So Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I left him there with the prince of the kingdom of Persia, and I have come to help you understand what is to happen to your people at the end of days. All right. Now that end of days stuff, table that for for a while. That's Daniel 12. We'll get to that in two weeks. For today, I want to talk about these princes and kind of understand what's going on here. This angel has had a message for Daniel for three weeks, 21 days, the same amount of time he's been in mourning. And he tells Daniel, I'm sorry, I would have been here sooner, but I had to contend with the prince of Persia. Now, I don't know about you, but I know when I hear prince of Persia, my mind goes to Jake Gyllenhaal. Anyone else? Has anyone actually seen this movie? I'm kind of curious. It was a flop. Eli's seen it. It's got a 37% on Rotten Tomatoes, so probably not. I, honestly, I haven't seen it, um, but probably, probably not, a, not a great one. It was okay. Um, but this angel says, I, I would have been here sooner, but I ran into the Prince of Persia, which not Jake Gyllenhaal. We'll talk about that in a second. Fought with him for three weeks. Then Michael came to help me, the chief of the princes, so that I could get to you. This is like the angelic equivalent of, like, sorry I'm late, I got stuck in traffic, right? Like, this is a little weird. This is a strange exchange. Now, the the princes in this passage, let's talk about this. That's the Hebrew word sarim. I think we've got that up here. Let me hear you all say sarim. Excellent pronunciation. Very good. Sarim. Sarim literally means princes. Like, that's not a bad translation. It's actually a pretty good, albeit maybe a little too literal, translation. But it's also this catch-all 
that can refer to any sort of high-ranking official of just about any kind. So like princes, generals, chiefs, captains, all of that is serene. Some older translations of the Bible will say, I ran into the angel of Persia. Um, you might have seen that in like an old King James or something like that. That's a less literal translation, but that's actually a little more helpful in this case because this angel isn't talking about a human prince. He didn't get stuck in traffic like outside of Albany, right? He's talking about an angel, some sort of angelic supernatural general or leader, a spiritual being of some kind. I have a message for you from God. I would have been here sooner, but I had to do combat with this rival angel who's working with the Persians. That's what's happening in this passage. It's an account of some sort of heavenly, supernatural battle between angels. Now, how many of us, and you can be honest here, how many of us, you like, you hear this, you read something like this, and you just like mentally check out? Anyone here? We got, we've got a few. It's like, it's like, okay, we have entered the twilight zone, right? Like, I, you might not know what you think about angels and demons and all that, but clearly this is not for me. This is some kind of ancient thing I don't understand. It's a few of us. If that's you, you're not alone, especially at this church. Also, though, if this doesn't bother you, if you're, like, on board for this, if it's like, yeah, angels, demons, let's do this, you're also not alone at this church. We've got a pretty broad range of perspectives on this. But I know there are a number of us here who don't know what to make of this. It is weird to many of us. Our world, this, like, secular world in which we live and operate most of the time, doesn't use these categories anymore. Like, it's not even on the radar. Like, angels, demons, supernatural powers, most Americans are not thinking about this kind of stuff every day. Even for most Christians, I think this is true, even for Christians who are open to angels and demons and the supernatural, most of us don't encounter this stuff in our day-to-day lives very often. Like, we might believe in it, we might be open to it, but it's not something we experience a lot. It's almost like our faith itself has been a little secularized. Like, we'll think about the big questions. When someone gets sick, we'll pray. If we're struggling with something, we'll go to God for guidance. But our faith has largely been stripped of all the mystery, the magic, the supernatural, the woo, right? I mean, think about communion, which we're going to be celebrating in just a few minutes. For 1,500 years of church history, there was magic at this table. If you go into like a Catholic church or an Orthodox church today, there's still magic at this table. They still believe that the bread and the wine become the literal body and blood of Christ. But for us, for Baptists, it's just a symbol, right? Like how many people have heard that before, almost in a dismissive way? It's just a symbol. Yeah. No magic, nothing mysterious or supernatural, just bread. That's what we've kind of been told. And of course, we have a little bit of a problem because Daniel is a book filled with the supernatural. A guy gets thrown into a lion's den and survives because God shows up and closes the lion's mouth. Three men are thrown into an oven and they step out fine, unburned. Daniel has dreams about the future. This is some mysterious stuff. 
This has been an ongoing theme that we've touched on off and on throughout this series. This idea that God is involved in history in somehow. That God gets involved in very tangible ways. That there are supernatural forces, spiritual beings active in our world. That's really hard for some of us to wrap our minds around. Let's be honest. Now there is an opposite extreme in many churches as well. I want to make sure we highlight that too because I think that can be just as unhealthy if not uh, handled in the right way. We've talked about how much our faith has been like secularized, stripped of the magic, but there is also a trend in some churches of a sort of hyper-spiritualization. This is where like there's an angel or a demon around every corner. Christians who obsess over this stuff, who have anxiety about it. Christians who believe that everything that happens is God's will or that it all has some sort of supernatural explanation. You're suffering right now? Must be a demon. Or maybe you did something wrong and God's punishing you. How many of us have experienced that extreme as well? I see some people nodding. Yeah. These are our two extremes. These are the two categories we're usually given to think about this stuff. You've either got the secular view where God is almost uninvolved. It's like God created the world and then stepped away like a neglectful parent, right? And just giving it to us, which bad idea. There's that extreme. Or there's this extreme where there's this hyper-spiritualism where these cosmic supernatural beings are directing history and we are just powerless to do anything about it. Neither of those extremes are in line with the book of Daniel, by the way. I want to make sure we understand that the book of Daniel is doing something different. In this book, we see over and over again that God is active in the world. God is charting the course of history. We see angels. We see supernatural beings. But because God is involved, everything we do still matters. How does that work exactly? Like, how is it that God can be involved in history, and yet human agency still matters? What we do still counts. How do those connect? That's the question. By the way, we've been wrestling with this question as human beings for about as long as there have been human beings. So I don't think I'm going to solve it today. But the book of Daniel doesn't exactly give us an answer, but it gives us some principles. There's some outlines of a third kind of way to understand this. And I think if we draw out a few of these, it'll give us a place that we can start thinking about this stuff. First principle I want to talk about is pretty straightforward, and it's the idea that there are spiritual powers involved in history that are way beyond anything we can understand. <clears throat> in Daniel's day, they used terminology like angels and demons to talk about this stuff, princes, right, sarim, our world doesn't use those categories anymore, and at least not very often. But most people are still aware that there are forces involved in history that are beyond what we can see and understand. Forces that are beyond us. Like, there's a growing awareness right now of structural evil in our society. Structural sin. More and more people are talking about things like systemic racism. Realizing that, like, it's not enough for individuals to not be racist, there are bigger forces, bigger structures that work in our society to kind of reinforce racism. More and more people are talking about this stuff. Or we could talk about greed, right? Corporate greed. It's not enough to like tackle greed on an individual level to get like 
each person to stop being greedy. There are larger systems and structures at work that reinforce greed on a global scope. Greed is a spiritual power. Or we could talk about colonialism, consumerism, violence, imperialism. These are spiritual powers that are a threat to creation. That's the way Daniel and his contemporaries would have talked about it, at least. Now, we do sometimes like to judge the ancients. Like, we'll get kind of judgy toward people in the Bible for over-spiritualizing stuff, right? Have you ever been there? Like, you, you kind of assume that, like, the people in the ancient world thought everything was the cause of a spirit or a demon or an angel. But that's not really how it worked. It's not the picture we have in the book of Daniel or the rest of the Bible. The ancients were actually pretty nuanced around this stuff. Like, Daniel understood imperialism, right? Probably better than most of us. But he still had this sense that there were other powers that he didn't fully understand. And they had really fancy belts. I'm going to run that into the ground. I'm sorry. Jesus is another example. Jesus cast out demons, but Jesus also healed sicknesses. The ancient world's pretty good at navigating between physical needs, physical realities, and spiritual ones. Maybe we're the ones who went to an extreme, making everything natural, limiting it to just what we can see and understand. Something to think about. That's the first principle we can take away. A second one that's important is that God wants to partner with human beings to shape the course of history. This is a big one. This is why we can't fall into either of those two extremes, either the camp that says God is in control, so nothing we do matters, or the camp that says God isn't in control, so it's up to us. Neither of these extremes really fit what Daniel is doing here. The reality is more complex. From the very beginning, literally, like Genesis chapter 1, first page in our Bibles, God creates human beings to be God's partners in shaping the world. Think about Daniel's vision of the four beasts in chapter 7. We've got the picture up here. This was, this was a weird one, right? Those who were here, remember this? But these monsters from Daniel's dream, they symbolize empires, They symbolize human effort to shape the world through power and dominance. And what does God do, if you remember this dream? God takes authority away from the beast, but God doesn't just say, I'll handle it myself. What does God do? He raises up a human one, one like a son of man. Check Daniel 7 on this. God anoints a human being, a human community, as it was originally understood, to partner with God in shepherding the world. That's Garden of Eden imagery, you guys. In the Garden of Eden, God creates this vast, beautiful, complex universe, and then God puts it in the hands of human beings and says, surprise me. Let's collaborate and make something new. That's how our Bible starts. We are not at the mercy of spiritual powers. We're not helpless before corporate sins like greed and colonialism. We are God's people empowered by the Holy Spirit to contend with these forces and make something new. Thank you. Thank you, Kurt. That's the picture of Daniel, at least. And that brings me to our last point, one more principle, the third principle. 
This reality, our awareness of spiritual powers, should set us free to love our enemies. This is a big one. This is the one that, like, if more Christians got this, if this clicked for people, it would change everything. Daniel lost everything to the Babylonians, right? We've been over this story a lot. King Nebuchadnezzar and his armies destroyed Daniel's homeland and annihilated his culture. Daniel finds himself far from home in bondage to the very king who defeated him, who annihilated his people. And he has to work for him. He serves the king. And throughout the book of Daniel, we see this amazing genuine love and compassion from Daniel for King Nebuchadnezzar, his enemy. How is that possible? <laughs> like, forget, forget about lion's dens. I can, I can suspend disbelief for that. This is the miracle of the book of Daniel. He actually works for and has compassion for his worst enemy. That's what blows my mind. But Daniel can do it. He's able to serve the king because he understands his fight is against something bigger. King Nebuchadnezzar is just a human being. Despite all of the king's divine claims to the contrary, Daniel knows that he is just another human being like him involved in the same spiritual struggles and battles that he is. And that's where the true enemy lies. About 600 years after the time of Daniel, there was this follower of Jesus named Paul. He put it like this in the book of Ephesians. Our struggle is not against enemies of flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Here's why this is so important, and it's something we don't talk about enough. Our world is full of people who will tell you who to hate. They will tell you who to blame for your struggles. They will tell you who the enemy is. Maybe it's immigrants or Muslims. Maybe it's the rich, the bankers, the 1%. Maybe it's liberals or conservatives or socialists or fundamentalists. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the principalities and the powers. Paul's words ring out in contrast to all that. You want to know how we can actually love our enemies? This is how we do it. By realizing that there are bigger forces at work in our world, and that is where our struggle lies. Human beings are called to partner with God in shaping the world, in shepherding the world away from darkness. And when it comes to our enemies, when it comes to those who the world expects us to condemn, to hate, to fight against, our only responsibility is love. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for the snapshot of a spiritual worldview that shatters our expectations and shakes up all of our categories. God, help us. 
Help us to recognize that our true fight is a spiritual one. That our true battle is against these forces that are bigger than us. Some call them demons, some call them angels, some call them structural sin, but Lord, that's where our battle lies. May that reality, may that truth lead us to truly love our enemies. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.